Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number four of Genesis chapter nine. And we're going to begin reading in verse five. And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. And I'll stop reading there. Now, in our last study, we saw that God's law, and this law is being given after the flood, just over 7,000 years ago from our present time, and the flood date, one year after the flood began, was the year 4989 B.C., and God commanded, whoever takes the life of of man, even if it be an animal, then that creature is to be killed, or if another man takes the life of a man, the man also is to be killed. God requires his life. If someone slays a human being, someone made in the image of God, Their life is required in turn. This is the law. This is how the law can be satisfied. And it goes on to say in the next verse, in verse 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. It's not the case with animals. A man can shoot a deer, he can kill a rabbit, he can shed the blood of animals, and then he can eat the animal as long as he doesn't eat the animal with the blood. That's lawful. God allows for that. The Bible allows for a man to kill and to eat animals. It's all in accord with the law of God, but it's not the case with a human being. And again, this law serves to highlight the special nature. It highlights the uh, higher form of a creature that man is than all of the rest of the animal kingdom, all of the rest of creation. Man is supreme. Man stands above. He is distinct from all the other creatures. He alone is made in the image and likeness of God. Now, uh, of course, in our modern world, mankind in man's wisdom, in, in the wisdom that comes from the minds of men, it's not the true wisdom from the mind of God, 
This is the wisdom that comes forth from a fallen creature, man, and in his fallen condition, he has developed ideas and determined and views these ideas as fact, that the world just happened by chance, that all life that we see is a result of evolution. Things just randomly occur, and then natural selection operates, and, and we get one animal that runs on four legs, and another animal that eventually learns to stand on his two feet. Man, and and so there's really nothing more special about man than these others, except he's further along the evolutionary chain, and and this serves to uplift the rest of the animals. And I guess that's the case where where all the other animals are lifted up to a higher place. They're viewed in in a higher way, but it also serves to put down to lower man to the level of the animals and. Also, since man is not that special, then taking the life of a man isn't really all that different from taking the life of an animal. And it's one of the reasons why that uh, so many people are shocked and if they hear about animal abuse or animals that have been killed, and, and yet there's not the same concern, it appears, when they hear about man being killed and man being murdered. There has been a lessening of the tremendous seriousness of taking a human life because human life has been devalued by the ideas of men that men put forth. It has taken man off of that lofty plateau that the Bible has placed him on as being highest of the creation creatures. He is at the top, he's at the pinnacle, and it has brought him down to a base form like the animals. And actually, in man's fallen condition, because of his sin and the wages of sin is death, when he dies, God does make the point that man perishes like the beast. He, he has become like the beast. That, that is what sin has uh, accomplished in the life of mankind. It has lowered him in many ways. But in Genesis 9, this is describing a fallen man. It, it is not speaking of man at the beginning, in his original perfect good state, without sin, when God saw Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve was good and perfect. But in Genesis 9, when the world is just restarting after the flood, well, all eight souls are sinners. Um, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and maybe all eight were saved, or maybe seven out of eight or four out of eight, whatever the number, even if they were saved in their bodies, they still had corruptible bodies, and their offspring would have been conceived in sin, born speaking lies, unless God would have saved them. Uh, you know, two saved persons do not beget a saved person. 
It doesn't work that way. Two sinners, two unclean physically sinners, will beget an unclean. So when a human being is conceived, even if both parents were saved, the child is a sinner unless God supernaturally acts by using his word to create a new heart and spirit within the child. And and that's why um, the world is is populated uh, with the majority of people that are unsaved because everyone is born in that condition. Everyone is conceived in sin. And not everyone is born unsaved. And God uh, could have saved some people in the womb like John the Baptist. But, but unless God acts to save everyone is born unsaved and 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 so uh the uh majority the overwhelming majority of people are unsaved and it is people with corrupted bodies that God is saying still that they're in the image of God and anyone who slays man fallen man Sinful man, anyone who slays a man originally created in the image and likeness of God, maintaining that image in the physical body and and in in the area of his intelligence and the area of being above all the other animals, all the other created things, anyone who slays man, his blood will be required his blood will be shed in a response that's the law and so um governments down through the ages have enacted laws that have executed people who are found to have committed murder and we still have some laws today and, and even in our society that that is trying to cast off all the laws of God, all the laws of the Bible, we still have some laws in some places today that continue to follow this law given so long ago that anyone who murders is to be killed. And and so a judge or a jury and, and an actual carrying out of the execution is performed and it's all done lawfully. It's all done justly. When Exodus 20 says, Thou shalt not kill, and it's one of the Ten Commandments, there are some people who mischaracterize what God has said, and they insist that no killing of any kind is to be done. You're, you're not to... Uh, or a government is not to carry out an execution. They say it's a violation of the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not kill. But actually, in the Ten Commandments, the law that God gave is thou shalt not murder. And in the Old Testament, the same Hebrew word translated as kill is translated as murder. And since God obviously has killed himself and has ordered Moses, for instance, to take the man who was found picking up a few sticks and and to stone him to death. And that was an illustration of capital punishment where God gave authority to government to kill. 
And so it's obvious from the Bible that there is lawful killing. And lawful killing, again, can be performed by government. And Romans 13 picks up that idea when it says that the government and those that God has placed in power do not um, carry the sword in vain. They they may execute wrath. They may punish wrongdoers. And when a person kills another person, that is an act of wrongdoing. And God's law stipulates that that individual is to be killed. And so all that is on the level of morality. Um, you know, we can gather that from this statement, and, and it has to do with our everyday life in the world and, and, and how governments are to work and operate. But there's also a spiritual dimension to this concerning killing. And the Bible does speak of those that are spiritually killed, spiritually murdered. And what does this is lies or uh, lies that are dressed up as truth when people bring other kinds of gospels, other kinds of teachings, and they say, this is coming from God, this is the truth, this will save you, this will deliver you from death, and actually it serves to to kill them. It serves to murder them. And we see in Psalm 79, beginning in verse 3, um, well, I better back up to verse 1. O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. Thy holy temple have they defiled. They have laid Jerusalem on heaps. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat unto the fowls of the heaven, the flesh of thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. And then down in um, uh, verse uh, verse 10, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen in our sight by the revenging of the blood of thy servants, which is shed. Now this does have some historical application or, or reference uh, when the Babylonians entered into Jerusalem. There, there was literal bloodshed of the corporate people of God, the Jews, and many were taken into captivity. But spiritually it points to the time of the end, at the period when Satan would be loosed at, at the end of the church age, and Satan and his emissaries infiltrated the churches and congregations and overcame them, and Satan began to rule within the world's churches, and the the doctrines of his emissaries, uh, those that looked like they were children of God but were not, uh, like ministers of righteousness, but they they were not actually... These doctrines shed blood of the people in the congregations because they believe the lie, and a lie cannot deliver. And so it actually served to kill them, to destroy them. 
And God speaks of it as though uh, the blood of his saints was shed. And, and also they, they drove out the true believers. And John chapter 16, uh, God likens being driven out of the synagogue to being killed. And if you're killed, your blood is shed uh, normally. And, and so that's the idea. It says in Ezekiel 22, beginning in verse 2, I'm going to read a, a, a several verses in this chapter. Now, thou son of man, wilt thou judge? Wilt thou judge the bloody city? Yea, thou shalt show her all her abominations. Then say thou, thus saith the Lord Jehovah, The city sheddeth blood in the midst of it, that her time may come, and maketh idols against herself to defile herself. Thou art become guilty in thy blood." Now, just consider what we're reading in Genesis 9. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, his blood will be shed. And here, God is speaking of uh, the bloody city, which is Jerusalem, and the city sheds blood in the midst of it. That is, Jerusalem, a figure of the corporate church, earthly Jerusalem, it has shed the blood of those inside of it, again, with their false doctrines and gospels. It goes on to say um, in verse 4, Thou art become guilty in thy blood that thou hast shed, and hast defiled thyself in thine idols which thou hast made, and thou hast caused thy days to draw near, and are come even unto thy years. Therefore have I made thee a reproach unto the heathen, and a mocking to all countries. In verse 6, Behold, the princes of Israel, everyone, were in thee to their power to shed blood. In thee have they set light by father and mother. In the midst of thee have they dealt by oppression with the stranger. In thee have they vexed the fatherless and the widow. Now, all of those references um, are related back to shedding blood. And in, and uh, yet, uh, setting light, father and mother, is not honoring your parents, um, uh, dealt by oppression with the stranger. God speaks of that in other places. And also, vexing the fatherless and the widow. Uh, remember, when God speaks about the fatherless and the widow... Uh, spiritually he has his people, his elect in mind. Well, by their um, sinning in this way against the people of God, they have shed blood spiritually. And verse 8, Thou hast despised mine holy things and hast profaned my Sabbaths. In thee are men that carry tales to shed blood. Now, there is a very good uh, summation of a picture of those that carry false teachings. They carry tales. They're, they're not uh, truths. They're, they're not carrying what the Bible actually declares, what God has said in his word. But they're carrying tales. The word carry tales is also translated as slanders. And, and it's the same word as tail bearers. They're, they're carrying 
uh, untruths, lies, deceits, everything that um, a, a, go- a false gospel is made up by, and they're carrying tales to others, and that results in the shedding of blood. You, you see how God is in particular tying together the shedding of blood with the sharing of false teaching. And uh, a little further along in the same chapter, in Ezekiel 22, it says in verse 26, Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profane among them. Her princes, in the midst thereof, are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And it, it, it continues. It continues. The, um, very definitely, the language is unmistakable uh, to God's people who are familiar with Jeremiah and Ezekiel and and this language that God uses to uh, pronounce the condemnation upon the corrupt body of national Israel, which spiritually in turn points to the New Testament corporate church. It's very familiar language indicating the sins of the congregation. And those sins serve to shed blood in um, a spiritual sense. Uh, God also says in Numbers, in Numbers chapter 35 and in verse 33, So ye shall not pollute the land wherein ye are, for blood it defileth the land, and the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. Now, there is that principle of that that's being put forth in Genesis 9, verse 6. If someone sheds blood, their blood must in turn be shed. But here, it's speaking of uh, polluting the land, defiling the land, and the land cannot be cleansed. And the word cleansed there is actually the Hebrew word for atoned, until... There has been blood shed for it. Or it says in Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 36 verse 17, Son of man, when the house of Israel, and and just think the church there, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Wherefore, I poured my fury upon them. The word uh, translated as poured is 8210 in Strong's Concordance. It's the same word translated as shed, uh, as in shed blood. It, it basically got a saying, Wherefore, I shed my fury upon them for the blood that they shed, that's the same word as poured, upon the land and for their idols, wherewith they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way, 
and according to their doings, I judge them. Here God is given explanation for why judgment came upon the house of God. For why he judged the corporate church. It, it is all related to the law. The law that says if you shed blood, it, then it, it, if you have done that, your blood must be shed. It cannot just be forgotten. It cannot be overlooked or ignored or dismissed. The law says if you have shed blood, again, your blood must be shed. And so God had a church that had shed much blood spiritually with their teachings, erroneous doctrines, other kinds of gospels, and... Therefore, he pure, he poured, or he shed his fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land. And, and this would be the revenging of the blood as the souls under the altar in Revelation 6 were crying out, How long, holy and true, O Lord, holy and true, before you avenge our blood upon them that dwell upon the earth? And their blood was shed, the blood from righteous Abel to Zacharias. We read in Matthew 23, all the blood um, that Babylon shed, we read in Revelation 18. And the church that was given over to Satan and therefore came under the rule of Babylon, one of the provinces of Babylon, The church was judged first, initially. Judgment began at the house of God. They had the wrath of God poured out upon them for their shedding of blood. But then, even in that judgment upon them, Babylon, or spiritual Babylon, which is the kingdom of Satan, shed much blood of the individuals within the corporate body. And... And so God then turns and brings judgment upon Babylon for all the bloodshed in all the world, throughout all history, for all the physical murder and spiritual murder committed wrongfully, all the evil deeds that killed mankind, that killed the people of God, God then pronounced judgment upon the king of Babylon and all of the inhabitants of Babylon, all of the unsaved people of the earth, and we're living in judgment day, a time of retribution, of vengeance, a time when man's blood, his, spiritually, his very life, is being taken from him, and then finally, man will die according to the law. According to the law, mankind must die. Um, he's broken many laws. And, and the law of God stipulates anyone who has transgressed, even in one point, is guilty of all. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. 
For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.